So in terms of identifying qualified leads, instead of having 100 people call my office, I want 10 people calling that are actually vetted out. I want people that are qualified from the standpoint of, of having a, a strong interest. They're not just shopping. Um, you know, they may not want to pull the trigger in the next week, but they want to do it soon and I'm not wasting my time. I also want to make sure that financially that they're, they're vetted as well too. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Nearly all aesthetic clinics say they offer excellent customer service or a personalized experience. So how can you turn customer service into a true differentiator? Today's guest, Dr. Gregory Buford, has got this down to an art. His Denver practice, Beauty by Buford, prides itself on going above and beyond for its patients. And today he's going to share some simple but very powerful tips. Dr. Buford also sits on the advisory board of RealSelf.com. That's one of the industry's leading cosmetic communities. He's also been named as one of its top docs. That's a recognition reserved for surgeons with exceptional patient ratings. He's been featured in numerous national talk shows and magazines from Vogue and ABC News right through to Fox Television affiliates. He recently launched his own training academy, the Core Aesthetics Training Institute, and he's particularly known for beauty in the business. That's his no-nonsense guide to managing and growing a plastic surgery practice. Let's dive in. Greg, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely my pleasure. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk to you about is something that in all these interviews has actually never come up <laughs> amazingly, um, and that's realself.com. I know that you are a top doc on RealSelf. Um, so how important is it for your business? Well, I mean, let me kind of start from the beginning. I mean, how I, how I got started with RealSelf. Um, you know, I've worked with, I've worked with RealSelf as, uh, as a consumer, as a physician for years. And then ultimately, uh, at a meeting, I actually met, uh, I met Tom Siri, who's the CEO and founder, and met him because I was actually on a panel uh, debating social media and saying it wasn't important, which is absolutely ridiculous. But they, uh, you know, I, I asked, I said, well, who am I debating? They said, you're debating Tom Siri. And I'm like, you've got to be seriously kidding me. The guy that started Real Self, I'm debating him. Okay, great. So we debated, we, uh, we had some good laughs. I met him after, and we actually went and got a cocktail. And we became good friends after that. And then uh, over the years, I kept telling Tom, you're running a company that's successful despite itself. You know, you're running a company that you don't have a, you don't have a medical board. You know, you're doing what you do uh, without the insight of other physicians. This would really benefit you. And so myself, several other physicians as well, too, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, pulled on his ear for enough years that he, that he, uh, he finally said, okay, you know, uncle, I give up. 
All right, I'm going to do that. And I think we've been able in the last two years, we've been able to really make some really nice changes to, you know, what's a great idea? I mean, Real Self is, I, I'm not here to promote it, but I wouldn't be on the advisory board if I didn't believe in it. And I do think that it has a lot of, uh, a lot of potential. But like any company, though, the, you know, the founder, the people that run it, often encounter blind spots. You know, when you're in the, in the thick of the weeds, it's hard to see around you. And so having outside advisors, having someone like myself, you know, basically say, hey, you know, this is what we could do better. You know, this is, this is what you're missing. So and which, so there's been a number of which, which improvements do you think have been most useful from the, from the clinics and the doctor's points of view over the last right, few right. years? I think, it's, I think it's really identifying qualified leads. Instead of having 100 people call my office, I want 10 people calling that are actually vetted out. I want people that are qualified from the standpoint of, of having a, a strong interest and not just shopping. Um, you know, they may not want to pull the trigger in the next week, but they want to do it soon and I'm not wasting my time. I also want to make sure that financially that they're, they're vetted as well too. So first of all, how did the, let's talk about it first of all from the platform's point of view and then from the doctor's point of view. From the platform's right. point of view, how did it change in order to help doctors do that? Right. And some of this is kind of the secret sauce or the special sauce. So hey, I can't tell, I can't spill the beans on all of it. But I, I think a lot of it is, you know, how the patient interact or the potential patient interacts with the platform. I mean, there's, there's certain things, <coughs> excuse me, certain things that, you know, that we look at. Um, if someone, if someone uh, applies to, to get in a, um, a consult at 1.30 in the morning, you know, we laugh about that. That's the 1.30 in the morning, drunk in their pajamas thinking, hey, I really want to get Botox. Well, guess what? No, they don't. They're drunk in their pajamas at 1.30 in the morning and they're just having fun. So it's looking at various things, you know, and looking at age, looking at, uh, you know, area of the country. You know, if, if someone's in, in uh, well, I was going to say, if someone's in Australia, they're probably not going to visit me, but that's interesting because I just had a virtual consult with someone in Australia who may come up and do a breast revision with me in a, in a couple months. But, you know, so we do get patients from all over the world, but it's, it's really identifying what are those key things, what are those key uh, components, those key triggers that say, this person, you know, is a really good quality lead versus, you know, this patient just basically wants to shop around, you know, they're just playing. They, they're really not that interested. They're just, they're just having fun. So from your point of view, how do you best, how do you make, first of all, let's go back to the first question, which was how important right. is it actually to your business? Do you generally right. get a proper stream of patients from real self? Right. We are getting, we are getting a proper stream. And what I would say is over the last year, maybe a year and a half, it's definitely improved. Is it the only means of getting patients? You know, absolutely not. I mean, easily the, you know, the number one way that we get it, I've been in practice for almost 20 years. So the number one way that I get patients is, is clearly is word of mouth. I mean, word of mouth is powerful. These patients are already vetted out. They know someone, a family member, a friend, what have you, you know, they come in and they, they probably already scheduled the surgery. They're already in the books. I mean, it's, you know, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's an, that's an easy, I hate to say an easy sell, but let's face it. I mean, I'm in retail medicine and that's, you know, that's what plastic surgery is. It's, it is a sell. And you, so you it anything, is a nice. Do you do anything to encourage that word of mouth? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, we actually incentivize our patients. Uh, we take good care of, but we don't have a, f I hesitated putting a formalized referral program in, you know, refer one patient, get a $25 visa gift card. I mean, I, I think that's really cold. It's really, 
it's cold. So what we do is we do this crazy thing called surprising patients. Okay. Patients come back in and we say, you know what? I noticed that you left us a review. Um, you know, here's, here's X, Y, Z. I mean, we're going to give you a free treatment with Botox cosmetic. We, or we send them a bottle of wine. We, you know, we surprise and shock them. We, we do things that we try to, uh, make them happy without them knowing to expect it. Because if someone is, you know, someone has a, has a tiered program, they're just going to say, Oh, I've got two leads. I got a $50 card. I got three leads. You know, I got 150, what have you. I mean, honestly, that's boring. That's really boring to me. But if you get a small gift in that, and I emphasize small gift, it could be something like a, a not very expensive bottle of wine and, you know, or what have you, or, a, or for me, I mean, I love my gift certificates to, you know, cooking classes or what have you. I mean, you know, really cool things. You find what people like. There's a great book that I read called, uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but a great book called Giftology. And it's all about gifting. And it talks about how important it is to identify what you're giving, but more importantly, why you're giving it and to who you're giving it to or to whom you're giving it to. So you personalize the gifts to your patients as in you know something. Yeah, we, so you give them yeah we try to personalize as much as possible. I mean, you know, if they like wine, we send them wine. If they like cooking, you know, we, we're not going to send them a, uh, I mean, here's a good example. I always have to laugh when companies give me baseball caps with their logo on it or a shirt with their logo on it. Are you out of your mind? I'm not going to walk around with your shirt with your stupid logo on it. I'm not your billboard. I mean, you know, here's, the, here's what you can do. Get me a knife set and emboss or engrave my initials on it. That way it's personalized. It's me. You put your initials on it. I mean, it looks like swag. No one likes swag. Swag is dead. So it's really about thinking and really thoughtfully thinking about your client, you know, and what they like and who they are. So this is um, th this isn't directly about encouraging word of mouth unless it's it's about building patient loyalty really because once you give, right, give right. that they're going to be your patients forever guarantee you know for right. sure um, uh, but I'm assuming that also if pa a patient makes a referral they probably get some kind of gift like this yeah that's exactly I mean but it's you know ultimately if you create loyalty you create word of mouth you know who are patients going to want to refer to. They're going to want to refer to the person that they actually like. I mean, they're going to refer to the person that they trust, who they have that relationship with. And um, just with my with my own marketer's hat on here, um, it's there's this principle of reciprocity. Reciprocity that right. when you give people something, um, study after study after study shows that they want to give. They feel in a way obligated to you. They want to give something back to you. So actually. Um, probably quite directly, it does encourage them not only to come back, but to speak well um, and to start publicizing you um, because that is an obvious way that they can give back. We do. And, you know, it's, and, and I, and I've heard that about marketing. I mean, and I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, but it's also too, it's, you know, it, it's fostering goodwill. It's really saying, you know, really, thank you very much for your referral. Thank you for being a good client. Um, you know, I, th I don't think enough businesses actually do that. Customer service is dead. I mean, it really is. Customer service for most businesses, you'd be surprised. They just don't get it. They don't get how easy it is. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And there was this little company called Nordstrom's you may have heard of. So Nordstrom's, I think, I mean, they were one of the, uh, uh, one of the biggest companies that left, you know, left a huge mark on me, a huge impression on me in terms of what good customer service is. When they ring up your product, what do they do? They walk around the counter, okay? 
Now, how many, no one used to do that. I mean, they would, they'd ring it up and you're supposed to be happy that, you know, that they're taking the time to ring it up. No, they come around, they shake your hand, they thank you, they genuinely thank you. They take returns on crazy stuff. I mean, their customer service is outlandish. Ritz-Carlton is the same way, Four Seasons. A lot of these companies create a environment that you want to be in. So in the aesthetic um, market, what we find, when you go onto a typical clinic's website, they always talk about their customer service or their patient service as being superior and a differentiator. Which is total nonsense. That's right, it very rarely actually is. So other than the gifts, which I think is fantastic, what else do you guys do that, um, that truly elevates the customer service a step above? You know, what I'm going to sound is going to, what I'm going to say is going to sound a little bit trite, but we bend over backwards more than any other clinic. Um, I always have to laugh when people say, well, you know, so-and-so is booked out, you know, oh, three, four, six months in advance. Yeah. You know why they're booked out so much? Because they're not flexible. They're not flexible. They're saying, nope, these are our hours. We're already booked. Well, guess what? My practice manager, Jennifer, I'll give a shout out to her. Been with me for, for 20 years. She's a rock star. She knows if I need to get a patient on, I'll come in early. I'll stay, I'll stay in late. Okay. I come in on the weekends to see patients. I do virtuals and the virtuals have really helped our practice because now I can follow up with patients from literally around the world. I can do a lot of things that I couldn't do before out, out outside of hours. So we actually walk the walk. You know, we talk about our customer service, but like you said, putting up a, I love these companies that put up these, these great mantras, these company slogans. And then when push comes to shove, no one knows what the company slogan is. No one knows what it means. It's just something nice on the wall in the entry as you walk in and you, you know, as you. You, ha- you have to live it. And that's much more difficult. That's exactly right. You have to, you have to live it, you know, have it be a living mantra, you know, not, and that there's a big difference between something on your letterhead and something that people go, you know what? When we went to Beauty by Buford, man, I mean, they, they just, they did the extra step. I mean, that was amazing. More so than someone reading on my website about, hey, Beauty by Buford, we take the extra step. We do have that, I'm sure, somewhere on our website where we talk about our customer service. But I can tell you time and time again, we have patients that were with me from day one. And they say, we'll never go anywhere else. We love your customer service. We personalize as well, too. I mean, you know, we share, we're real people in the office. We try to not be this, you know, well, I'm the doctor, you know, you're the patient. There's still that relationship, but we also try to personalize it as well too. And, the, and the, your question will be, well, how do you personalize it? Social media, go on my, go to my social media page. I, I'm not one of these idiots that, uh, and I won't mention names, you know, who points out, hey, here's my fancy sports car that I drove in. Uh, did you see my fancy Gucci shoes? You know, yeah, there's even people in there that, or man and mentioned the show their closets and, you know, and Oh my God, look at all these fancy clothes. Yeah. That's called rubbing it in that. I mean, that's, that's not personalized at all to at all. If you look at my page, I mean, if you look at my Christmas page, my fiance and her kids, you know, wearing these crazy monkey outfits. I mean, I poke fun at myself. I mean, but people absolutely love it. And I'm not doing it as a marketing thing. I'm doing it to show people, yeah, I'm an accomplished doctor. I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy. I've, I've achieved a lot, but I'm also a human being. If you look on there as well, too, I mean, I, you know, it's crazy. It's social media or it's uh, plastic surgery. I'm sharing recipes. Who does that? You know, I mean, just stupid stuff. Here's, here's what I'm making for the weekend. 
Why I do that is, you know, it's not a marketing gimmick. It's truly to show people I'm human. You know, these are the things I love doing. I love cooking. I love spending time with the family. I love, um, uh, I love photography. I love travel. Well, I love travel until we couldn't do it. Um, but you know, here's, here's what it is. And I'll tell you, people and, and, and really I'll, I'll tell you something else, because obviously, you know, we're email marketers and for us bringing out that personal aspect, um, is a key thing. We always find that actually the more personal, the email from the doctor, actually the bigger the response. There's no question that patients absolutely love it when the doctors, um, you know, whether they're sharing the book that they're reading or something, you know, I think about all the different things we've done, talking about their hobbies, talking about their background, talking about something that happened to them 20 years ago, um, their travels. Those are the things that patients really respond to because it's, uh, it, you know, it feels, they feel a connection and it does humanize the doctor. Um, but what I'm interested in is that um, very often, especially the doctors, especially the clinic owners who are the doctors, it can take them a while to come around to this idea because they feel like there has to be this distance. So do you not, do you not, you know, that, that's what's kind of ingrained in them. Um, how did you kind of get over that from a personal point of view? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I got over. I say, um, I'd say here's the thing. It, it's a balance. You know, it's a balance. Um, there first has to be respect of the client, client physician, um, you know, relationship. People have to realize that, that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I am the physician, but I want you to know me as, you know, on a different level. I mean, I don't want this, you know, Hey, don't listen to your door, you know, don't research, don't do anything. You know, I know it all, what have you. That's totally changed. How we interact with patients now is, is completely different than how we interacted 20, 30 years ago, completely different. And so I think it, you know, it is a balancing act. You don't want to be so friendly that patients feel like they can call you at two in the morning, you know, just like a, like a long lost friend. Um, so those of you listening, you know, please, unless it's an emergency, don't call me at 2 a.m. I'm, I'm older now and I, I like my sleep. But, you know, but ultimately I give all my patients, for example, my cell phone. And I tell them, you know, here's my cell phone. If you have any questions, call me. And do you know how many actually call me? They rarely do. They rarely do. You know why? Because if you run and hide and you try to make yourself unavailable, people question it and they'll try to get after you. If you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be at a Thanksgiving meal. I may have had a few glasses of wine. I'm not, you know, I'm not on call. So I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to be teetotaling it or anything like that. But, you know, I may have a couple glasses of wine, but if you have a question about your surgery, give me a ring. I'm happy to talk to you. Now, I'm sure my malpractice carrier is probably rolling over right now and probably, is going to get some angry calls after that. But you know what? It's again, it's all about being approachable. There's a lot of us that are highly qualified physicians, but there's not a lot that I don't see that are highly qualified, but actually real people that are nice people. I've as, as a, as a speaker, both within the, within the U S and outside, I've had the interact, the, the opportunity to interact with some amazing, amazing physicians from all different specialties and I'll tell you, it's always refreshing meeting someone that is a very well-known, um, they call them key opinion leader, KOL or, you know, or speaker or whatever you want to say, but they're actually a nice person. I mean, or, you know, when I meet athletes, we work with a lot of athletes, you know, we work with some of the people from Hollywood as well, too. It's so refreshing when you meet them, they're like, they're like, Hey Greg, how are you? You know, they tell you a little bit about their life and you're, and you come away thinking, wow, that person was really nice. 
of course, if I met the people that are self-absorbed, yeah, I don't really like seeing them. I see, you know, I see them on my, on my schedule. They may be famous, but they're not fun to interact with. I like the people that come in and they're the everyday Joes. They're the everyday Janes. They're like, you know what? Yeah, my face is on the marquee, but guess what? You know, I have enough confidence. And I think a lot of it is just that. It takes a lot of self-confidence to open yourself up and let yourself be somewhat vulnerable, but you have to do it to the appropriate degree. You know, don't tell your patients that, um, yeah, you know, by the way, I'm afraid of blood. Oh, and by the way, I'm your surgeon. They don't want to, they don't want to hear that. They're like, oh, okay, I'm not going to have surgery with you. But they also want to have, you know, they ha everyone has their own fears. They have their pain points. Well, guess what? So do I. And when they can identify and see that you're a normal person like them, they like that. Patients identify. And again, it's not marketing. I mean, it really, I want to I work with people. And I always tell people this, and they think I'm full of it. I only work with people I like. If I don't like someone, I'll refer them on. I mean, life is way too short. When I was first starting out, I needed to work with everyone. I mean, you know, that's one thing. What I do is 100% elective. If people don't see me, you know, they're still, they're still going to survive. If they don't get their Botox, or their breast talk, I'm sure they're going to live to another day. But I want people to be in my office because they want to be there. And I want people that I want to be there. So it's a win-win situation when I take good care of my patients because ultimately, as you talked about reciprocity, if you take care of people, guess what? They take care of you. It's a golden rule. It really is. And it's, and it's really, and it makes, makes what you do in your career a lot more fun. As you said, I think that at the early stages, like in any business, um, in any early stage business, probably lots of clinic owners are, you know, they don't have the confidence to do that because money is still tight and, um, and right. they feel that they can say no, but it's really a trap, isn't it? Because then you do get stuck with patient base that you don't necessarily, wait, you know, where, where it's not as fun as it could be and you're not enjoying it and it's, it's a vicious circle. Do you guys all, I'll ask you a question. Do you guys have Groupon over where you are? Do you know what Groupon is? Um, I do know Groupon. Um, I th yeah, I think it does exist here. Um, the truth is I've never actually heard a British, um, I've never heard a British clinic owner mention it to me. It's normally, it's normally, <laughs> the, Amer it's normally the Americans. I'll, pro I'll probably get sued for saying this. I hate Groupon. There's a groupanization. I call it groupanization. It's basically, it's, you know, it's, it's full 100% commoditization. You know, they're only coming to you because it's cheap. I mean, I don't- Well, selling on price. We, we were, if anyone mentions Groupon to me, the truth is we don't really want to work with them because exactly. it, it just attracts, it, it, it by definition builds a patient base that is disloyal to you because they're really only buying on, um, on, on price and not on value and not on relationship and on any right. of the other things that we discussed. And, um, you know, again, I think that a lot of solopreneurs essentially use it because they see it as a quick way of, build, of building a patient base, but they don't really see again that it's a, it's a long-term trap for your business. Well, I think it's, it's, it's not sustainable. The, the, the problem is, I mean, these people are looking at the cheapest person and they're looking at right next to you as a coupon for Chinese food and an oil change. I mean, you know, you're just, you're so commoditized that people don't care that, that you are really good at what you do. And I tell people, I'm, you know, I'm in where I am. I'm in Denver, Colorado. I'm one of the more expensive guys and I don't, or practices, whatever you want to call it. And I don't say that in a, in a haughty way, in an egotistic way. 
what I tell people is I'm really good at what I'm doing. And I'm going to give you <clears throat> ultimately at the end of the day, two things I want to give you. I want to give you an amazing result and I want to give you an amazing experience, you know, and those are two things. The last part is often left out of most practices, of most businesses. They think, well, if I just build the best widget, you know, and you, and you buy this and you're happy with the widget, you don't care about the experience around that widget. Well, guess what? That's not true. You know, people want, it's, it's, like, it's like coffee shops. You know, I know you guys have Starbucks. I always tell people, no one goes to Starbucks to buy coffee. People go to Starbucks to buy an experience and it's called experiential marketing, you know, and I'm sure you're probably more familiar with that than me, but you know, it's, it's, it really does make a huge difference. What we're talking about here, actually, though, is something even bigger than that, um, which is being really, really deliberate about the patient base that you build. Um, and realistically, right. too many clinics just leave that to chance. They're not being thought out enough about who they actually want to attract. They may think about what they want to offer, but they're not really designing the entire, you know, that they're offering um, and everything about their clinic in order to attract a particular type of patient that they really want. And um, I'm, I think that happens too often. Well, let me add to that. I, when I was, when I was uh, maybe within my first couple of years, I decided to hire a publicist. And I had, uh, you know, I, I've had a couple of publicists. I don't anymore. But what that publicist, you know, was talking about, the question that she asked me, she asked me the first off, you know, what do you want to do? Well, you know, I want to be really busy. And she looked at me like, well, you're a complete idiot. She goes, who is it you want to be busy with? You know, who is she? Is it a she? Is it a he? Are they gay, straight? Are they white? You know, are they black? Are they, uh, are they Hispanic? Um, what's their education level? Um, what do they like to do? You need to know everything. And you know this, you're in marketing. I mean, to market to someone, before you can market and create a message, you need to know who that message is for because that message absolutely 100% needs to be tailor-made. If it's tailor-made to a 25-year-old, you're not going to attract a 65-year-old. Why? Because the colors aren't going to be what they look at. It's not going to be the copy, the language, the diction, how you, how you speak to that person, how you reach that person is completely different. So you have to know, to your point about building a practice that you want, before you can do that, you have to know who you want to work with. Yeah, I mean, and that's, really... step one, that's step one of any marketing strategy right? Um, and build a business building strategy. Right. And I think, again, one of the issues is that too many clinic owners, you know, I, I can count on the fingers of one hand, um, the number of clinic owners that, that really have a really well thought out marketing strategy, by which I do not mean, hey, we're going to go on Facebook, hey, we're going to go on Instagram, but right. thinking about these more strategic issues, who are we, who do we want to attract, what are the, you know, what is our strategy, you know, how are we going to position ourselves, which is ultimately the core of what we're talking about here, um, and remarkably few have really thought about it. Totally agree. Well, you know, and you know why too. I'll tell you one of the biggest things: shame on medical schools and shame on residency programs. They teach all the trainees that medicine is not a business. That is the stupidest thing that I have ever heard. Medicine. Guess what, guys? Guess what? U.S., Europe, what have you? Medicine is a business. But with business, though, you have to take care of your clients. You have to take care of your clients. But it is a business, and you have to think about it like. I mean, that's why ultimately I, my book, Beauty in the Business, 
That's why the, the name is Beauty in the Business. It's a direct slap in the face at all the people in the ivory towers that say, yeah, medicine's not a business. Yes, it is. And you have to think about it like that. And you have to run it like that. And ultimately, the better product, the better experience, the better client. Okay, so let's talk about the business side for a second. Um, this interview is taking place between Christmas and the New Year. Uh, we won't go out between Christmas and New Year, but that's when we're actually recording this. Um, so I'm just interested to hear, how do you think that um, looking back over the last year, which was really in many ways traumatic for many people, um, how do you, what are the fundamental ways in which the aesthetic market has changed long-term beyond you know, everyone going you know, virtual consultations, things like that? What, what are the really deep-seated changes that you see? Well, I'm gonna start kind of from the broad-based look. Um, you know, one thing that we did initially um, my experience share is that um, one thing that we did initially on is um, we looked at protocols. I mean, the, the world basically blew up, whether you're, you know, whether you're in, in London, England, you know, whether you're in Des Moines, Iowa, in the United States. I mean, we were all affected. We were all affected globally and nothing is ever going to return to what it, what it, what it was before. I mean, but I think there's a lot of chance, a lot of opportunities though. I mean, in times of crisis, there is great opportunity. And this is the time to look at how we interact with patients, you know, how we run our business, what protocols and processes worked and what protocols and processes were just in place because that's always how we did business. Now, one thing, you know, you mentioned virtual. I, you know, we were already starting to, to do more virtual encounters with patients. You know, what we're realizing now is COVID is basically, it's restricted our traffic flow through the office. But we said is, you know, we can respond to this because of COVID, but I'm actually building out more and more of the virtuals because I want to, I want to save people that one asset that is the most valuable asset, you know, as Steve Jobs mentioned uh, years ago, it's the most valuable thing. You'll never get it back once it's gone and you can never buy more of that. And that's time. That's time. So I think how are, you, how are you building out your, uh, I know that you've talked, um, I, I know they're building out a virtual um, consultation platform. Why don't you right. talk about that? Right. The virtual consultation platform, basically it saves people just that. It saves people a dramatic amount of time because when they apply, they can actually book the time. You know, they know what it, they know when they know when they're getting it. They send them their photos beforehand. I pre-screen them. You know, I make sure if they, for example, if they want to do a breast augmentation, I've got their photos before, so there's no awkwardness of, hey, hi, I just met you. Can you take your clothes off? Which, which is kind of creepy, you know? And they have a full questionnaire that I go through all their, their, their goals, their height, their weight, their demographics, all that kind of stuff. And the so crazy- you've turned, it, you've turned it into a process. Rather than just sending someone a Zoom right. link, you've turned it, you've, right. you've systematized it. Well, and I've made them jump through hoops. Because, you know, if someone is not serious, they're not going to take pictures, okay? They're not going to take pictures. They're not going to throw all this stuff out. There's got to be a certain amount of hoops that they jump through. And if they don't, do you cancel the session? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't play games. I mean, I'm like, you know what? I work with you if you work with me. It's a win-win situation. I mean, it's reciprocity. It's really, but you have to, you have to gauge that. And again, you know, going back, you were asking me before about real self. You know, when we were talking to Real Self about how they, um, uh, they screen the patients, one thing that we told them is you need to make them jump through more hoops. Because if, you know, if someone can just check a box, well, maybe they're serious, maybe they're not. 
if they have to check two boxes, they're probably twice as serious as the one box checker. And if they three boxes, four boxes, five boxes. Now you don't want to make it honor, onerous and daunting, but you do want to make a certain bar that they have to cross. And at that point you say, okay, I've got someone here that's very interested. But the time value I think is very, very important. I mean, there's a lot of, for example, I don't just use it for virtual consultations. I use it for a lot of follow-ups. I have a lot of my patients that, that, you know, that don't live in the, in the state. I have a lot of patients that, that uh, or may, we may like today, it's snowing outside, you know, so the roads aren't great. People don't necessarily want to drive in, but I say, hey, let's jump on a 15 minute Zoom call. Let's, let's take a look at everything. You know, how's everything going? People absolutely love it. And the crazy thing is most of my Zoom uh, calls with their follow-ups or what have you are usually about 12 to 15 minutes long. And that's not rushed. It's because I've taken care of the, the, the busy work, the photos and that kind of stuff before I get on the call. I mean, I already know what I'm going to tell them, you know, and I just say, hey, this is time is yours. Another valuable asset as well, too, we work with a lot of the military. Well, a lot of the military significant others, I mean, they, excuse me, they may be abroad. They may be in different parts of the U.S. So they can't physically be there follow-up. Well, guess what? With this one, they can actually dial in and it allows them to participate. And then they feel more vested in the process. So how have you really leveraged this asset, um, this, this ability to do things virtually? Because I think that what's happened, everyone now offers something virtually. Right. right. Um, but really, for many clinics, it's just, hey, you have it. Ha have you done anything to really make the most of that asset and really promote it and turn it into a, you know, something that's really integral to your business? Yeah, we do. Actually, I would say that one thing we do is we do, uh, we use social media to, to essentially shatter from the rooftops. Okay. I mean, we basically say, you know, we've got this platform and so forth. We also have, we also try to explain why this platform is valuable. But I think most importantly as well too, is we talk to patients when they're in the office and we say, Hey, you know what? We'd love to see you, but you know, it, it may be several weeks. It may be several months before you can get on the schedule. We can put you in the queue, so to speak with a virtual console faster than we can get in the office. We can also say, for example, I do a lot of uh, hair restoration, okay? Hair restoration patients, I mean, I mean, I'm happy to see them in the office, but I get hair restoration patients from all of the United States. And so they can actually just send in a couple of photos. They can make a quick little consultation. I mean, it doesn't, we were charging for a while. We're, right now we're, we're trying to see, you know, what that, what that does in terms of, of uh, whether it's a benefit or not in terms of no-shows. We've not had a big no-show rate. So right now we're doing it actually complimentary. I mean, and we'll, time will tell if that's a smart move or not, but people really like it. So we try to, we use it as a, not as a means not to see the patient, but again, we emphasize the time value of it. And I, and I do think there is a lot of value in it. So it's actually a way to give them, from your point of view, it's certainly more efficient, um, but it's okay. also actually a way to, it's a benefit to them. It's a way to give them again, better customer totally. service. Totally. If you, th if you think about it, for example, you're in New York City, okay? New York City, you go to your doctor's office. I mean, New York City is a pain in the neck to navigate by car, okay? You know, so it may take you an hour to drive through the city. It then takes you 20 minutes, I mean, probably 30 minutes to park your car. Then you've got to sit in someone's office. Okay, so say 15 minutes. And then you, then you see us for a couple of minutes. 
And then you do the same thing over again. I mean, you've now burned up a couple hours. How about this? You're, you're in your office, you close the door, you do a virtual consultation, you know, you put your earbuds on or, or you go to a wherever, you do it from home. It saves you so much time. And ultimately, I mean, to be green, it saves the carbon footprint as well too. Given that really every clinic is doing is offering something virtually now, sure, uh, what sure. are the what are the what are the big mistakes that you think that other clinics are making with this with this approach platform? Um, not having it streamlined enough, and I and I think and also too not vetting their patients out. You know, just saying, hey, we'll do a virtual consultation, and this is actually what I'll I'll, I'll criticize myself because trust me, raise your hand if you've never made any mistakes. No, I've made a ton of, of marketing mistakes. And one of my biggest marketing mistakes was that I just said, hey, we've got virtual. You can do in-house or, hey, we've got virtual. Well, that, that's not as, that's as exciting as, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a, a joke analogy, but I mean, it's just not that enticing. When we emphasize the, the, uh, the potential for it, you know, when we, when we actually also, too, made them jump, we, we put together, a, I want to say a platform, but a process, you know, a protocol. You have to fill out this paperwork. You have to schedule this time. You have to submit photos. I mean, people know, hey, we're really serious. We're not just this one-off like, oh yeah, hey, we can just check with you on Zoom. That sounds totally unprofessional. What we say is we have a virtual platform. You know, you need to click on this link. You go through this whole thing. People are like, oh, okay. This is a well-oiled machine. They, they actually know what they're doing. And do you do that with cold leads off the internet as well? Do they also have to qualify oh, yeah. that way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- and I think that's important. Now, you know, we do have some people that'll just that'll just call and just say, "Hey, you know, what's your price for Botox and what have you?" You know, that's I mean, those are interesting, but it's much more interesting when people give you a little bit more. You know, they share about their background. For example, we do a lot of mommy makeovers. Instead of just saying, "How much is it to get my breast augmented?" versus, "I've had three kids." Um, I'm 35 years old and, you know, I'm going through the, my typical one, actually 40, 40, two kids going through a divorce, entering the dating scene, and they just don't feel like they look and feel as youthful on the outside as they do on the inside. And so they want something that's actually going to change. It's those stories. You know, when they share those stories, people that share, that tells me they're serious. If they just say, you know, I got something over the weekend. Uh, hey, my wife wants double Ds. Okay. I didn't even answer. You know why? Because that to me, I mean, that's just, that's just kind of this, this, it's just not the patient I want to work with. And maybe that's arrogant, but you know, my wife wants double D's versus I'm 35. You know, I've had two kids. I don't have as much self-confidence. That's someone that's putting themselves on a limb or putting himself out. They're saying, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. Here's what I want to accomplish. Those are the people that will not only they're going to be great clients because they'll work with you. I mean, they understand that you're a human. We understand they're a human because first and foremost, they shared that with you in the, in the uh, initial application. That's why also when um, in, in the email marketing that we do for clinics, um, one of the first things that we do is we just send them. It's, a, it's not actually a form, um, but even if they're just downloading a guide, they get a one line email asking them a question and we can see it clearly the correlation between the people who bother answering that and the people who have actually right. become patients because they're showing that they're invested as well. And that's really the difference. I, I totally agree. hundred percent. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, um, and then we're going to come back in a, in a minute or so with Dr. Gregory Buford from Denver. We'll be back in a second. Hey, it's Miriam here again. During this break, I have a quick question for you. Could you use some more thread lifts patients? How about some more body sculpting patients? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, then we have two campaigns you can implement right now to generate new inquiries and bookings. The Threadless campaign is based on one we've run extremely successfully for three aesthetic clinics in Honolulu, LA, and London. So it's tried and tested on two continents and we've been refining and optimizing it ever since. But don't take my word for it. We've got a case study explaining exactly how the Threadless campaign works to bring in new patients and the kind of results it's generated. I've put the link in the show notes just head down there right now to grab your copy. And if you'd like to discuss how it can work for your clinic, my email address is in that document as well. We're also running a case study group right now for clinics that want to attract more body sculpting and skin tightening patients. We'll be working with you very closely to generate immediate appointments, both from new leads and from your existing patient list, and to create a body sculpting sales funnel that can bring in more high value appointments long-term. To find out more about how it works, email me at miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. That's miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. And I'll send you the details right now. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. We're here with Dr. Gregory Buford from Denver. Um, and we've been covering a lot of ground, but I want to skip to something a little bit different um, and talk about the training institute that you're setting up, or that you have set up, but you're, you're again, you're making it go virtual. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So it's called, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off here. Well, so tell me what it's called. And then, uh, then I want to know why did you set it up? Why did you decide to go into training? Um, because I only have about 30 balls in the air right now and a million projects in my hand as, uh, anyone that knows me will tell you, uh, I have uh, a severe form of ADD and I can't sit still for very long, but no, in all seriousness, I want to leave behind a legacy. Okay. I, I know that sounds a little corny, but, um, I want to leave a mark on my industry and I, and I want people ultimately, you know, on one day, um, when I'm dead and gone, they'll say, you know what? He was really, he was a good teacher. He was a good instructor. I've, I've, I've had the chance to speak to groups literally around the world, train on injectables, medical devices, surgical procedures, what have you. And I really enjoy that. Why do I enjoy that? Because one, I love passing, passing along knowledge. Two, it makes me a better practitioner. When you're on the podium, when you're teaching people, I mean, you have to, quote unquote, suffer the slings and arrows, you know, of their questions. You know, people are going to ask you the, the tough questions. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to look like a complete idiot up on stage. So you really, it really reinforces what you, what you know and what you don't. So the, the Institute is called, it's called CATI, Core Aesthetics Training Institute. Now I've been doing trainings for, oh boy, 15, 16 years, but I really never formalized them. And now what I'm looking at is, I mean, this is ultimately, I probably have about, probably have about 20 more years of my practice you know, and more than that in, uh, in consulting and so forth. And I'm really going to consulting arm. You know, I do, I work a lot with industry, which, you know, is, is sometimes frowned about, uh, you know, upon my industry, but I also work with a lot of emerging technologies, you know, so I kind of know what's in the forefront, but when it comes down to it, I like being able to train people. And so being able to um, build this Institute out, 
uh, during COVID, I either made probably one of the, the smartest decisions or one of the dumbest decisions. I bought a building. So I decided, you know, in, in all this uncertainty, you know, what's the, what's the dumbest thing to do? Oh, spend a ton of money and, you know, buy a building. So I bought a small little building. And so I'm building out a brand new office because I want to own my building. What I also want to do as well, too, is I'm building out a large boardroom, which is, is I can't give away all the secrets, but let's just say it's going to be set up for not only, um, not only live trainings, but also virtual trainings. And my goal is I could be training people in Denver, Colorado. I could be training people in Scotland. I could be training people in, in Peru. You know, I, I mean, that's a crazy thing about, uh, about the internet, about Zoom, what have you, about technology is there really are no boundaries. And so I'm able to How reach- How do you train effectively virtually though, when people aren't there to do, you know, to, to, to try techniques and with you Great question. And that's, and that's really ultimately the challenge because what I would say is, you know, are there, are there some things that are lost in translation, so to speak? I mean, give you a good example, facial injectables. I mean, I think, I really believe that to learn facial injectables uh, uh, the best way, you have to have hands on. You've got to put your hands on that syringe, the hands on that needle. You've got to do injections. I mean, so, you know, in reality, are you missing out on that? Absolutely. To your point, 100%. That's a challenge. Okay. I like challenges. And I think, you know, what's going to happen right now, we're in the horse and buggy phase of, uh, of, uh, of, of Zoom and telepresence and so forth. The horse and buggy. And people are going, oh, I can't wait until we get back to the buggy. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We ain't never going back to the buggy. I mean, you've got... More likely, you're more likely you're more likely to have virtual reality. And that's the, that's the real answer of how people are going to end up doing it in 10 right. years. Right. Well, if you look at it, I mean, what are medical schools doing now? I mean, there's been a shortage of cadavers. Some medical schools now are, you know, are developing virtual cadaver dissections. I mean, which is crazy. Now, I still think you need to put, you know, press the flesh, so to speak, and really, you know, put your hands on the tissue. But, I mean, this kind of thing is, it's, it's portable, it's reproducible. So, you know, there's a lot of value to that. So, what we're building out right now is ultimately, it's going to change over time. You know, anything is. I mean, anything is static is, is not going to live on. So, right now, what we're building out is a platform, and I, and I, I can't give you too many of the too many of this uh, the secrets but you know let's just say it's not just going to be me i'm building it out with my uh, with my wonderful pa lauren and we're uh, we're building out uh, you know like i said the, the boardroom is going to be kind of the hub of this and we've got uh, we've got three procedure rooms that we're going to be doing these in and they're all set up to basically uh, transmit via social media versus internet what have you in a high speed bandwidth um we're also developing relationships with uh, with medical device companies, with pharma, you know, to really uh, to really get the hit the ground running. So, stay tuned. You know, I, I think this is going to be something that uh, there's a lot of people that train. But what I will say, and this is not arrogant, there's not a lot of people that train with the, with the caliber of you know injector that I am that the caliber of people that I'm going to be bringing on board as, as fellow speakers, as trainers. So you're really going to be getting the best and the brightest. You know? when, when, when I asked you why you did it, um, so your answer was really very personal, that you wanted this legacy. Um, right. but, uh, obviously, it brings in income as well. Um, but are there right. any other advantages to the, to the, to the business? You know, why, is this something that other, 
other clinic owners should consider or is this really just your you know the thing that you want to do um or are there really other business advantages to 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 opening this kind of um this kind of thing great great question i mean think about it this way you go to uh you go to plastic you have you have plastic surgery uh clinic a and b okay a is just you know we do a lot of breast dogs we do tummy tucks blah 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 plastic surgery b yeah, we do a lot of we do a lot of plastic surgery. We do a lot of breast tucks. We do a lot of tummy tucks. But we actually are the people that train other physicians to do the breast tucks, to do the tummy tucks. We train nurses. We train physician assistants. You know, we are we are the mark of excellence. You know, and you can use the term the center of excellence. I think that's been way overused. But you know, if you look at it, training institutes. I mean, setting yourself up as that, you're kind of setting yourself up as almost the gold standard. Because you have to live up to that. If you're gonna, if you're gonna call yourself a training institute, you know people are gonna review you now more than ever. People go on Yelp, they go on Google, they go on Facebook, Instagram, blah blah blah. If they like something, I mean, they're they're they may be likely to you know to promote you. But the sad thing is, if they don't like you, I think you would agree with this. They're far more likely, you know, to shoot you. I mean, to shoot you down with with their their reviews, and that's a challenging thing. So. To call myself a training institute, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really putting myself out on a limb, but I'm willing to do it because I think the benefits and the feedback that we've received so far from early trainees have been so positive. And a lot of them have said, you know, we didn't know where else to train. We didn't, and we're going to, we're adding in uh, modules for, you know, for business training, you know, not just training on the procedure, but now that you know this procedure, how do you actually incorporate that in your business? Most people don't do that. I mean, think about the, the pharmaceutical companies. They don't train you on that. They say, hey, here's our new drug, use it, you know, or here's our new injectable, use it. But they don't say, you know, here's how you can use it. Well, sometimes they give some very, very lame social media posts. <laughs> oh, I, with all due respect to Allergan and all those companies, their social media sucks. Sorry. <laughs> Al, I'm sure I'll be, I'm going to get some nasty phone calls in the, in the next couple of weeks when this airs, but I mean, you know what? And the other thing too, is they're, they're held to compliance. They're held to a lot of these government standards. I'm, I'm just held to basically to the public. I mean, if, if I'm, if I'm promoting stuff and I'm putting up posts that are, you know, that are offensive, what have you, I mean, either I'm going to become super popular or people are just going to shut me down entirely. So I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, uh, the industry or the the consumers decide if they want to go to my site because they don't have to. So obviously your 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 big plan really um, is to become an influencer for others for other people in the business. Um, who has influenced you along the way most? Wow, that's a good question. You didn't you didn't prepare me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, who has? I mean, I'm trying to think. There's been a number of people. I mean, I can't think that it's just one person, but it's been, I, I think it's, and this is going to sound so corny. It's really been along the way, um, the people that have been the biggest names, um, you know, in plastic surgery and ophthalmology, um, in dermatology, what have you, that have been willing to give back. They've been the guys that when I call, I mean, literally I've, I've you know, I've cold called, I've, I've cold called people and said, hey, you know, I've got a tough challenging case. Can I run by, run this by you? And guess what? They actually pick up the phone. They say, you know what? Hey, Greg, you know what? This is what I would do on this. They're willing to share. And that ultimately they, is Were they willing I'm, to do that before you were really well known in the industry? Uh, probably not. 
<laughs> Probably not. I mean, you know, in, in their defense, I mean, we can't, if, if I had, if I had people calling me every day, I mean, I wouldn't get anything done. So I have been able to your point. Yeah. I've navigated the waters because I've, you know, I've met a lot of these people. What I'm trying to do though, is, was with the Institute though, I allow for mentoring of, of people once they train, I mean, they have a, no, we, we don't do it all the time, but they're allowed to come back and spend some time with us and actually learn hands-on they're allowed to call us, you know, to email us. I mean, it's basically, it, it's kind of like being an alumni, basically, if you think about it. I mean, it's like an alumni relationship. And that's what I'm really trying to set up. And that's, and that's actually very valuable. If you think about, you know, think about using that analogy of an alumni network. I mean, I'm alumnus to, you know, several places, uh, Kellogg School of Management, Georgetown, UCSD, all great institutions. And I could actually reach out to people and say, hey, I'm an alumnus of this. Would you mind helping me? And what's crazy is, just mentioning that you're an alum, it actually gives you a lot of cachet. It gives you a lot of, of street cred, so to speak. And those phones usually get answered. And that's really the problem with being a clinic owner, at least in the early stages, is that you're, you're alone, aren't you? It's true again for any real owner. Yeah, it, it's, it's, very, it's a very lonely business. And so yeah. having, building those networks, having those networks to call on is really essential. And if you don't have those networks, then finding a way to create them. Right. Well, if you think about it, I mean, think about, um, think about what you just said. You're going from residency, you know, which is highly social, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's highly social. You're with all your other fellow residents. You know, you're with all your, all your trainers and all these patients. And then all of a sudden, you go down to an end of one. It's you. You know, it's you. And there's a lot of, especially within plastic surgery, the solo practitioner is much more common in the group practice. So, you know, all of a sudden you don't have people to bounce off ideas off. And especially like for me, I mean, I was in a group practice initially now I'm solo. I mean, it can get really lonely. So, you know, if I have a challenging case, I can't, just, I'm not in a hospital setting. I'm off hospital. So, I mean, I love to have a network of people that I can call and say, Hey, I've got this challenging breast case. What do you think? And it's so rewarding that they'll respond, but even better, patients absolutely love it. I, I tell patients, you know what? My ego can, you know, is not so big that I think that I know everything. So do you mind if I take a couple of pictures? I'm not going to share your name or your, or any, you know, specific patient information, but I'm going to run this by three or four of my colleagues across the country. I've never had anyone say no. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, well, good example. I, I trained at the Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic is a, you know, is a worldwide referral center for some of the hardest cases. You know, so I'm used to being able to be in that area where I can call on people and ask the, the, you know, the challenging questions. But I, like, I have my friends that are oculoplastic surgeons. I can ask them about eye issues related to the eye. I have my derm colleagues. I can call and say, hey, you know, I've got this, this patient came in with this interesting skin condition or there's a, you know, or what laser would you use for this? It's really interesting to set that up. And that's really with the training institute. That's essentially what I'm doing is I'm setting up this, this foundation, setting up this network. And I really think that's valuable. I really do. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be an uh, absolutely enormous asset. Um, Greg, we're gonna have to follow we're gonna have to do a follow-up interview because I never got to the question that I normally ask about how you actually scale your clinic, how you scaled your clinic, which is really the, the main topic of the of the, of the podcast. So we'll do a follow-up at some point. Um, but we're gonna end here. Um, first of all, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been fantastic. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? 
Best way is, uh, is probably email. Um, it's dr, Buford, B-U-F-O-R-D, at beautybybuford.com. That's Dr. Buford at beautybybuford.com. We're also on Instagram at, uh, at beautybybuford. We're on Facebook as well, too, beautybybuford. Um, our office uh, in, the, in the States is uh, plus one, 303-747-6719. And our website is beautybybuford.com. Fantastic. And what we'll do is we'll put all those links in the show notes at the bottom of the, of the podcast. So anyone who's listening to this, just pop down further down on the page and all those links will be there. Um, Dr. Gregory Buford, thank you very much for being with us today. I'm Miriam Shaviv, Director of Content at Brainstorm Digital. And for all our listeners, I'll see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.